You are entering the Freedom Hut. Kavanaugh is the nominee, and we have not seen such a huge puddle of liberal tears since Trump's election night. So uh, let's talk about how the left plans to oppose this next Supreme Court justice. Here's a hint. A lot of crazy conspiracies. We've got that plus an upcoming NATO summit and a bunch of fantastic guests on the show coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. As always, an honor, a privilege, and... A pleasure. Uh, very much enjoying the chance to get to chat with you as always. Man, it was... I watched it live last night. You could tell that uh, the liberals were going to be a bit upset. Kavanaugh came out there. This guy's got impeccable credentials, got great hair, got an adorable family. All the people that have worked with him in the legal profession say that he is just... he. He's he's as good as it gets. Top of the list. Yeah, law school, D.C. Court of Appeals, all the stuff that you would want. I mean, he is almost like you made a Supreme Court justice in a factory for perfect Supreme Court justices. And yet already liberals are all freaked out about it. You knew they would be. But it is so dishonest. It is so disingenuous. There's so much. That is not true about what they are saying here. But first, let's just get to, let's just bask in the glory, shall we, of the announcement itself. Because for a lot of us, you know, you may not have thought right away that uh, you were sure Trump was going to come through, right? You may have been somebody like me who had his doubts early on. And now what you see is a president who is following through on his promises, a president who is getting it done in really important and profound ways. And this Supreme Court nominee is just one of the examples, I think we can point to, of exactly that. One of the biggest ones. This is one of the best nights for Trump, no question. Play clip one. Judge Kavanaugh has impeccable credentials, unsurpassed qualifications, and a proven commitment to equal justice under the law. A graduate of Yale College and Yale Law School, Judge Kavanaugh currently teaches at Harvard, Yale, and Georgetown. Throughout legal circles, he is considered a judge's judge, a true thought leader among his peers. He's a brilliant jurist with a clear and effective writing style universally regarded as one of the finest and sharpest legal minds of our time. For the last 12 years, he has served as a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals with great distinction, authoring over 300 opinions which have been widely admired for their skill, insight, and rigorous adherence to the law. There's no way that you can oppose Kavanaugh on rational grounds. The only way you could oppose him is on political grounds, on policy grounds. That's the only way, right? The, the, if you were to look at what it is that the left is upset about here, it's not the kind of stuff that you're supposed to be taking into consideration for the you know, advice and consent of the Senate. And 
man, they were particularly. Uh, but let, let me let me let let's let Kavanaugh speak for himself for a moment before I get to. I turned on MSNBC last night. I got to tell you, I was watching MSNBC because it's. I don't need to watch Fox after this kind of an announcement because I'm like, oh, that's my people. I know what they're going to say, right? I just we're we're going to be high fiving, yay America, great pick, well done Trump. And and it, and I'm glad that Fox is out there telling America the truth about all that. Um, but I turn on MSNBC just to see the oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? Like I just wanted to see what was going on. Way more fun viewing from my perspective in the sense that it was comical, right? Uh, it, it's it's unintentionally funny to watch MSNBC. But be, before I consider that a teaser, before we get to that, we have uh, Kavanaugh speaking for himself. Uh, play, play clip two, please. Tomorrow, I begin meeting with members of the Senate, which plays an essential role in this process. I will tell each senator that I revere the Constitution. I believe that an independent judiciary is the crown jewel of our constitutional republic. If confirmed by the Senate, I will keep an open mind in every case. And I will always strive to preserve the Constitution of the United States and the American rule of law. Thank you, Mr. President. He sounds like such a monster, striving to preserve the Constitution and the rule of law. Good heavens, it's fascism all over again. That's what you were hearing from people. I mean, I, I we had a lot to choose from. I figured, I said, Producer Mike, I want to make sure we've got the liberal DEFCON 1 freakout situation covered tomorrow on the show. And Mike's pulled so I mean, we, we We could spend just hours going through all of the nonsense political analysis, the nonsense so-called legal analysis. And there is just so much crazy out there right now. The primary opposition. I, I, I got to tell you that the primary opposition to Trump, I'm sorry, to Trump's pick. Uh, Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, is a conspiracy theory, basically. And the conspiracy theory is the, the main reason that they that that Trump made this pick is to shield him from criminal investigation. So Trump put this guy, he Trump just happened to magically find somebody who is perfect in every way for the Supreme Court. In every conceivable fashion this guy checks the boxes and then some. Oh, oh, but but the real reason they say that Trump picked him was because he wrote something 10 years ago about how a president, a sitting president, cannot be indicted. That's the real reason, they say. Now, I sit here and I say to myself, they can't really believe this, right? Because at this point, if you're somebody who's sitting around waiting for the possible indictment of the president of the United States based on Russia collusion, you have lost it, my friends. So if you think that the Supreme Court pick was made because there's a reasonable belief or expectation that Trump could, in fact, be indicted, I think it's fair to say you've kind of lost it. No one who is paying attention thinks that's going to happen. So why is this the primary method of attack right now against Kavanaugh? By the way, I, I, I tweeted this last night. I think it's so important. 
I want you all to remember the man that you saw last night, Kavanaugh. I want you to remember who was up there, what his credentials are, how he was presented, because the left is going to smear this man in so many ways. He is going to be engaged in true government service because he is going to have to endure, mostly in silence, the worst kinds of uh, character assassination, distortions, accusations of racism, sexism. The left is going to throw everything at him, even if they can't stop his nomination, which I don't think they can. And I'll get into some of the mechanics of that in a moment. Because they have to show their base how much they care about having judges on the Supreme Court who give the left what the left wants. That's what this is really all about. It's not about a judicial philosophy. It's not about jurisprudence and the rule of law for the left. It's about power, straight up. And because they feel like they are losing that, and there's no mechanism, there's no process in place for them to regain it, you do get the sense that there is a paranoia, and dare I say, even a tendency to conspiracy that you are seeing with many of the most prominent voices opposing Kavanaugh so far. The left is resorting to conspiracies to try and console themselves over the reality of their losing political situation right now. The left is in the worst place it's been in in terms of elected offices, in a in a I don't know, about a century, I think. I mean, it's really when you start adding up state houses and governors and uh, governorships, and it's very very bad for them. They still control the culture, the bureaucracy, campuses, the legal profession, a large part. I mean, the left still has formidable assets at its disposal, and it could easily run back into office uh, in the presidency and engage in what Obama did, which is eight years of top-down leftist. Authority, soft authoritarianism, right? I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I got a pen and a phone, right? I'm going to do this. Got a pen and a phone. Got a pen and a phone. You know, he's going to go around Congress. If Congress won't act, I will. One of the most unsettling things for a president to say in a long time. Not quite as unsettling as the future does not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam. That's a direct quote that I always remember from Barack Obama. Very strange thing for a sitting U.S. president to say. He's not a theologian. Uh, anyway. I see this now and the conspiracies are when you when you add the conspiracies to the politically motivated stalking and the complete rejection of any civility and decency in public discourse or even just in public when it comes to administration officials, we have a troubling, a troubling cauldron of rage here on the left. They're losing. They're losing. You know, we talked about being tired of winning. Trump said we'd be tired of winning. I don't know how many of us really thought about what that would mean on the other side, though. What happens when they're tired of losing and losing and losing? They're not going to make the argument, my friends. They're going to try something else. And I think we are seeing a desperation. And as you know, when certain Animals are trapped. They are particularly dangerous when the progressive left feels like it is politically trapped. It may lash out in unpredictable ways. Yes, of course, there are predictable ways, too, like they're going to go after Kavanaugh. But I think that there are things coming that are going to 
shock us as Americans because I believe that the left is willing to abandon much of what holds us all together, much of what binds us as Americans in order to regain some of the power that has been lost in the Trump era. Uh, I believe that they cannot be counted on to not just speak to us in a civil matter, but to obey government authorities, to play by any set of commonly held rules. I don't know where they will stop. I don't know where they will draw the line. So as much as I will joke around about the liberal tears from Kavanaugh's appointment, I also need to tell you that we are dealing with a dark and dangerous American political left right now. We are dealing with a cornered ideology in many ways that could respond to the current situation well outside the bond, uh, the bounds of, of what we would accept as Americans in our politics. Uh, we, we're in it. We're in a precarious time. And I don't know what the ignition point is going to be. I don't know what's going to be the spark. Uh, but they 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 here's here's what I'm really trying to get at. They will not be able to abide Trump continuing to win. They, they just they will not psychologically be able to process or accept this. Once we understand that, then we have to also know that something is coming, perhaps many things, perhaps a movement. I don't know, but it's going to be bad. The left isn't even going to have full control of it, and it's going to get very ugly. And I think this Supreme Court fight is just going to be a part of that overall that overall movement. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Please do light up those lines, folks. What do you think about Kavanaugh? You're like me. Did you want Barrett, but you're okay with Kavanaugh? Kavanaugh was my number two choice. I was really hoping it'd be Barrett. Uh, but I want to know what you think. And uh, we we didn't even get into the, We're going to drink liberal tears for much of the show. I mean, we're going to bathe. We're going to take showers using only liberal tears here for a while. Uh, because I think that this is necessary now. The same way that some tyrants can only be brought down by mockery, I think the liberal left can only be confronted now through ridicule in many ways. So we're going to do that, and it's going to be fun. We'll be right back. He thinks presidents like Trump should be above the law. And conservatives and conservatives know he would overturn Roe versus Wade. Everyone here knows what is at stake. What is at stake is women's freedom, our freedom to make our own decisions. And we will fight. We will not give up. We will not grow weary. We will not give in. I will oppose him with everything I've got. Are you ready for a fight? We have the American people on our side. Now Are you we've got to go rumble? state by state by state to make sure that senators do what their constituents want. That senators with Americans are fighting. Why is Bernie Sanders yelling? Nobody knows except he's very upset about the things. He almost sounds a little bit like Cuomo there. 
A little bit. Because he's yelling every word, right? I don't know why he has to yell. I don't know why. Uh, but they're all, oh, my God. I had Schumer there. He's, he's going to oppose him with everything he has. Based on what? Based on what? They keep saying, you know, no religious tests. And then when we want to nominate a Catholic like Vera, they go, oh, you can't do that. Okay, so there is a religious test. They keep saying no political litmus test. But then they say, oh, but, you know, you got you to gotta support Roe v. Wade. That's, that's precedent. Uh, they have no principles, folks. They have no judicial principles whatsoever. It's just whatever they want when they want it. And they come up with a justification for it after the fact. It's kind of like the Mueller probe, you know, or the Russia collusion investigation. They're just, they found the criminal. They just now have to find a crime. And liberal jurisprudence is what do you want? I'll find a way to get you there. Oh, uh, you know, you, you think that uh, people should have to you know, write whatever you want them to write on a cake as part of your business? Well, you know, that's, uh, it's discrimination if somebody doesn't want to write something on a cake that's part of their business, right? That's, that's what they're going to say. Oh, okay. So now, we, you know, do we have to, we start to play this game now. We say, well, what about somebody who doesn't want to, you know, serve bacon at my, what about at a, you know, a Muslim who doesn't want to create a sculpture out of bacon for me? Is that person a bigot? I mean, you start to, you start to actually send this stuff out and you see that there's no principle. They're just, ah, I want this. I want it. Liberal jurisprudence is effectively, you could describe liberal jurisprudence as a fancy sounding tantrum because that's what it is. And that is what they offer up. You get Blumenthal saying uh, no as well on Kavanaugh. Play six. I will be a no because this nominee has passed the Trump litmus test, would do enormous harm, perhaps lasting destructive damage to key rights and liberties, not only reproductive rights and health care rights, but also voting rights, civil rights, gay rights, marriage equality. You know, they, they, they conjure up all these rights, in many cases rights that don't exist in the Constitution, and then they wonder why they're so fragile. Because the rights aren't actually based in the text or even in natural law or in the right of individuals. The rights are just policy preferences dressed up as rights by the liberal left, handed to them by the Supreme Court. Well, guess what? That's not a durable way to achieve rights. All right, 844-900-2825, buck I'm just getting started. We've also got immigration stuff to talk about. Liberty, truth, and great hair. The Buck Sexton Show is back. And let's be clear about what this is about. It's about government taking on the decision about a woman and what she does with her body instead of giving that woman and her family and her God the power to make the decision for herself. This is about replacing the authority of government, putting the government's authority ahead of the authority of a woman to make a decision about her own body and her future. So if you are a young woman in America or you care about a young woman in America, pay attention to this because it will forever change your life. Over respect for the Constitution, to avoid a constitutional crisis, we cannot let this uh, confirmation process go forward, especially now that we have someone uh, that has clearly said that they have a strong opinion should any of those issues come before the Supreme Court. Uh, we know now that uh, the, the ideas that you said are not settled law. 
or whether the president can pardon himself, whether the president can just dispense with a criminal investigation. Uh, a lot of these issues could come right before that justice that now he is 100% certain will have his back. That's just not true. When you say he's 100% certain he'll have his back, what Cory Booker is doing is, first of all, he's assuming, as I said, that the president is going to face any kind of criminal charge or indictment, which is now, in, that's fantasy land stuff. But as I've been saying for a while, liberals are losing it. They're turning to conspiracy theories to justify the insanity of their positions. Here, here are a couple of conspiracy theories you may not have heard, but they're being shared by major media figures and people with real followings. They're being passed all over the place. Here's one that Justice Kennedy's son gave a, This was published by the New York Times, gave a sweetheart loan to Trump when nobody else was giving him loans. And that, you know, that essentially there's some kind of a payoff here. New York Times published this. It was a giant, steamy pile of Triceratops poo-poo. Okay? It was a complete and utter lie. The son wasn't even, you know, Kennedy's son wasn't even in the right part of the bank. I think he was in the private bank, not the commercial bank. And anybody, I've got a lot of friends in investment banking and that work at large financial institutions. The notion that you're like, well, I just like this guy, so I'm going to give him like a billion dollar loan. Doesn't work that way, okay? Doesn't, and it's maybe your name is Soros, and then you write a check out of your back pocket because you're Soros with lots of money. Uh, but, you know, they just ran around. So that was one conspiracy theory. Oh, this was a payoff for a loan that Trump got. New York Times published that. Uh, there, there are other conspiracy theories that are out there, too, about Kennedy. And and one of them is that there was a there was like a special meeting and there is pressure. It's just according to sources, unnamed sources that Kennedy was, you know, was pressured to leave by Trump. And then Kennedy helped pick his successor. And there was this whole like transfer of power. No, no. The guy's old. He's done his time. He's been a kind of, you know, C minus Supreme Court justice. Not a not an F, not a D, but like a C or maybe a C minus. And now he's done. But these conspiracies, they just all these conspiracies out there about, oh, Kennedy and the transfer of power and the sun and none of this stuff is is true. But it gets shared as though it is true. And then a lot of us sort of sit around and wonder, why is it that we're not allowed to point to this and say that there's really something wrong with the progressive left? I mean, they've really got a problem. Uh, here, here's one. Neera Tandon, who has hashtag or resist as her Twitter, her main Twitter thing, writes, just a reminder Justice Kennedy's son made a billion dollars in loans to Trump from the Russia-infested and sanctioned Deutsche Bank. <sighs> and then here's another one from George Bennett, uh, Jeff Bennett, rather, who's uh, NBC News White House correspondent. Sources familiar tell NBC that Justice Kennedy had been in negotiations with the Trump team for months over Kennedy's replacement. Once Kennedy received assurances it would be Kavanaugh, Kennedy felt comfortable retiring. I mean, first of all, if that happened, who cares? But second of all, this notion of the son giving a loan, that's just not true. It's just a false thing to say. It's a false thing to spread around, but they don't care. Conspiracies are fun for the left when it damages Trump. It's completely fine. They don't feel the need to challenge it. They don't feel the need to stop it. It is just nuts. Oh, speaking of nuts, uh, Elizabeth Warren. By the way, what is with liberals 
saying that calling Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas is racist. Pocahontas is a well-known historical figure in the Native American community. When they call Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas, they are mocking Elizabeth Warren. They are not mocking Pocahontas. And I know people also call her Focahontas because, you know, faux, French for false. Uh, But that's not the, this is not the hill that the left should be trying to fight on. Because Elizabeth Warren's whole racial fraud, which is what she did, she engaged in racial fraud, is not defensible. They seem to think it is, but it really, really isn't. Uh, but but Elizabeth Warren uh, weighed in. You know, I'm going to try to avoid. See, I know people like to make jokes about like, you know, did she hold a powwow and all this stuff? Let's just she weighed in. Here's what she said. Play clip five. I don't know him from personally from Harvard. What I know him from are his opinions. Donald Trump had a list of people that had been pre-screened by the Federalist Society. And so he knew that everyone on that list was committed to overturn Roe versus Wade because that's the standard they use. He wants to put his own judgment forward for these agencies, how he thinks things would work better. He's a political animal. He has been for a big part of the formative years of his career. Donald Trump has got the trifecta. He's got someone who will be committed to overturn Roe versus Wade, someone who will be committed to rolling back health care for millions of Americans, and someone who it looks pretty likely will help Donald Trump if he gets into serious criminal trouble. Just just blather from Elizabeth Warren, all this nonsense. But it reminds me of how the New York Times reported on Kavanaugh today. There was a front page headline in the New York Times. Former Bush aide is Trump's pick for the Supreme Court. I'm not making this up, folks. This would be like saying, you know, former lemonade stand owner Buck Sexton is now a nationally syndicated radio host. Like, well, by the way, I never ran a lemonade stand, but let's just pretend. Uh, Yeah, I I did a lemonade stand when I was 12. Kavanaugh's been a federal circuit court judge for 11 years. On the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is considered the stepping stone to the Supreme Court. And the New York Times refers to him in a headline as a former Bush aide. I mean, do we get to walk around referring to George Stephanopoulos as former, like, you know, Bill Clinton flack? I mean, I, I, maybe we do, but no, $20 million a year journalist is what that guy is. Oh, boy, stuff we have to deal with, folks. Scott in Idaho. Good to have you on, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, um, you were talking earlier about when the let, you know, if they were going overboard or when they were going to go beyond the pale. And I I think that line has been crossed a long time ago. Um, You know, I, I have a daughter. She's 23 years old. And. I actually sat her down and showed her the video of Reginald Denny being pulled out of his truck and beaten. And I told her that I said, if you're ever in your car and there's people trying to stop traffic, you flash your lights, you honk your horn, but you also hit the gas and you go through them. Um, You know, that type of of discourse and the Antifa stuff, all of that is so far beyond the pale. So, so unacceptable. If this was happening on the other side of the coin, if, if this was Republicans doing that to Democrats, the whole world would be on fire right now because of these horrible, horrible Republicans. Scott, so, ima- imagine um, for a second. I, I, I just I agree with you, but I want to jump in here. Imagine for a second that a senior Obama administration official was surrounded by a bunch of, you know, MAGA hat wearing Trump supporters who were screaming, 
you're a fascist and we know where you live. The, the, the media would be at DEFCON 1. They would lose oh, their minds. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the problem is for them, it has become acceptable. And they have, in their own minds, treated this as something that is, has become the norm. And, you know, what for us on, on the right is still an unfathomable action or, or way of treating someone uh, to, to them has now become the norm. So now the extreme of them is going to become God only knows what. It's going to turn into the Reginald Denny's. It's going to turn into the Steve Scalise shootings. That is going to be the extreme. And what's going on now with the roads blocking and, and people getting harassed in restaurants is going to become the norm. Yeah, to it's going to be, it's going to be worse. Totally unacceptable. Scott, this, this, this left wing conspiracy, uh, conspiracy theory mania, uh, and all of the hashtag resist Trump is a fascist Nazism at our border. This rhetoric is going to lead to bloodshed and the media is going to pretend like they had no hand in creating this environment. And I, I still to this day and Scott, uh, excellent call on insights. Thank you so much. And shields high. I still this day will say this, you know, somehow it just doesn't it just doesn't get talked about. It doesn't register that a Bernie Sanders supporter tried to kill many members of the Freedom Caucus, the most conservative members of the House, not just Republicans, the most conservative members of the House, tracked them down, scouted out, surveilled the location and tried to engage in a mass murder of Republican congressmen. And I still have to sit around and hear the left go, oh, Trump is mean. He's so uncivil. Uh, Trump is mean and he's uncivil. We have to worry about mass assassination plots on our side. Remember all the stuff you'd hear about the Obama administration? Oh, there's so many threats against Obama. More threats against Obama than ever. Uh, I don't remember any of the Obama administration officials being stalked and harassed by random strangers. And I and look, I, I, I abhor violence in the name of politics of any kind ever but uh when, when you look at you know who's gotten the worst who's gotten the worst end of it recently when it comes to crazies on the left or crazies on the right who are engaging in violence there's no there's no contest because the left is more emotional the left is just culturally more prone to uh political incitement and self-righteousness and when you're self-righteous it's very easy to lose sense of proportionality it's easy to lose sense of the other person as somebody who you know has a family and is trying to do their best and no they're just evil they're part of trump's nazi machine i have been saying this to you and i will keep repeating it because it is so important the people who are saying things like Trump is operating concentration camps at our border, which includes like a former CIA director who goes on TV all the time. It includes prominent Democrats. It includes people with power and influence in our society. I'm not talking about random basement dwelling Internet comment uh, commentators. OK, I'm talking about people that that matter in terms of the megaphones they have. Saying that. Means that we live in a society now where if somebody if somebody believes that, if you believe that that this government was running concentration camps for children at the border, what would you be willing to do? Right. You know, if, if I'll tell you this, if I believed that any government was engaged in uh, 
you know, mass illegal detention of families uh, in concentration camps without, you know, without cause, without reprieve, without habeas corpus, and and that this was part of a of a tyrannical plot. I don't want to discuss with you on radio what I would do, but I would take action. My big problem with what's going on right now is that that's not happening. That's all a lie. But they are propagating this lie and pretending that the lie does not have consequences, that we're not, you know, that, that we're, we're facing this, co- this constitutional crisis, a stolen election. Trump is a traitor. Trump colluded with the Russians. Trump is operating Nazi concentration camps on our border. Uh, you know, we're, it's the handmaid's tale now. Women are going to be oppressed. Women are going to be turned into slaves. Trump hates minorities. Trump wants to ban Muslims. All this, you add all this together, and it is just so toxic. And at some point, you have to assume that people of just, you know, normal day-to-day folks that are trying to figure out what's going on, some of them are going to say, well, is this true? And then a few folks who maybe are a little maladjusted, a little angry, a little full of rage will hear this and think, well, if elected Democrats are saying that we have Nazis in this country that are running things, if this country is in dire jeopardy, what, as a patriot, would I be willing to do to stop it? This is where you get into a scare. This is, this is folks, the rhetoric they are using is scary. I am telling you, this is not, we are not in normal times. And we need to be aware of that. We need to know who is pushing this. Um, all right, uh, we've got some calls lit. I want to talk to you about immigration. Uh, we're not going to meet this Flores consent decree deadline. I'll get into some of that coming up. We got a lot more shows. Stay with me. Did we already play the Schumer clip where he was being crazy? Did we already play clip eight? John, if we didn't play it, because I believe he is far, far right on so many issues. The (laughs) ones I've mentioned and particularly alarming is, of course, the one about presidential power at a time when we have a president who just routinely overreaches and doesn't respect rule of law. This is an extreme nominee. Want to talk about extreme? This is what Terry McCullough, former governor of Virginia, said. Close friend of the Clintons, by the way. This is on Twitter last night. Quote. The nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh will threaten the lives of millions of Americans for decades to come and morph our Supreme Court into a political arm of the right-wing Republican Party. Folks, is what I'm saying. Threaten the lives of millions of people. If somebody hears that and they say, Terry McAuliffe, he's a big, powerful, important guy. He says that Kavanaugh threatens the lives of millions. That's a direct quote. Well, what do you do in response to that, folks? Where do you draw the line if millions of lives are threatened? Al in Biloxi, Mississippi. What up, Al? Al? Did we lose you? Yeah. Hello, Buck. I, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, we got a minute, Al. Go point, for it. Yeah. I wanted to point out that uh, too many times you'll have conservatives or Republicans and they'll be on some show or say at Meet the Press or, or one of these programs. And they'll try to bring up what the left is doing. But right away, the hoes say it's, say it's George Stephanopoulos or, or Chuck Todd. They want to uh, say, they'll say, well, you know, it happens on both sides. And then they kind of, 
you know, shoo it away that way because these guys, you know, the conservative or Republican will say, oh, yeah, but, you know, you know, we need to quit doing that because it doesn't happen on both sides. Yeah, it, it, Al, I agree. It doesn't happen on both sides. This is like saying, you know, chihuahuas bite people and pit bulls bite people. Well, yeah, that's true, but one's a lot worse than the other when it happens. And the left is a lot worse than the right when it comes to political incitement. Now, I don't want you to have the experience of having to spit out some weak sauce commie coffee when you could be drinking the most delicious, most freedom-loving, most patriotic blend on the market. Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle is what you should be drinking. In fact, you should be a subscriber to Black Rifle's Coffee Club. They are all about making sure that they put the best coffee blends out there. They also have great gear, and they're a great company. It's all about veterans, our armed forces, patriotism, and freedom. Check them out for yourself, and you'll see. I drink black coffee literally every single day. I drink just black K-Cups, but I have a bunch of other options, including decaf, if I'm going to be drinking it late at night. Go check it out for yourself. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Judge Kavanaugh, you should not be serving in this building as a Supreme Court justice. Because you have demonstrated an extraordinary hostility to the rights and liberties precious in this country that make this nation great. So here is a memo to the Parkland students. If you care about common sense gun violence protection... Judge Kavanaugh is your worst nightmare. That was just uh, the last hour, so welcome back to the Buck Saxon Show. That was uh, Senator Blumenthal there. And what he says is very important, not because it is true or honest or worthwhile for the content, but he's giving us a window into what's really happening here. Notice how Blumenthal, first of all, this, this whole notion that, that Kavanaugh is outside the mainstream, that he's, you know, he, this guy, he's not the right person for the job, he shouldn't be in the job, all this other stuff. He's on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. This would be like saying, I mean, it really is the judicial equivalent. I want everyone to, you know, have this one in their back pocket if they have to pull this out. This would be like saying that somebody who is, you know, uh, in the uh, on a minor league team, and is batting 380 and is like the best minor league hitter anybody's seen in years and years and years, and you bring him up to the majors, and everyone's like, whoa, oh, oh, hey, this guy's not a baseball player. Oh, oh, hey. Well, what do you mean? He's already he's a proven commodity, folks. He's already there. He's already doing it. Senate already voted to put him in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which isn't just you know, the highest level below the Supreme Court, but it's the most important single court below the Supreme Court. 
And now it's, oh, they're just, these people are utterly shameless. Utterly shameless. I mean, look look at Barack Obama. Oh, Kagan, Sotomayor. I mean, he just, Barack Obama put social justice warriors on the Supreme Court. I mean, people that view their role as trying to even out the playing field by interpreting the law differently for different people, which automatically does violence to the very concept of law itself. You can't have rule of law with people that think that different laws apply to different people. That's that's really the basis, though, of the kind of equality and balancing act that the social justice left, as evidenced by Sotomayor and Kagan, engages in. This is what happens. This is the truth. But notice how he... So just just start on that. The whole all this stuff. These people that are trashing Kavanaugh, they're a joke. They should be. They honestly should be ashamed of themselves. But they are shameless. It is pathetic, and and I really don't want to hear it from them. You know what I mean? It's there's there's no good faith argument that this guy should not be on the Supreme Court. Oh, Trump's under investigation. Guess what? Multiple presidents have been under some kind of investigation. Their administrations and they appointed Supreme Court justices. All these are you notice all these arguments. It's it's just desperation, which is also why I worry, because none of these arguments have any merit and they can't win these arguments. So what are they going to do next? What does the left do when they run out of crappy arguments? Well, they harass people. They kick people out of stores. They throw things at people. They if they're Antifa, you know, cause mayhem on the streets and it just escalates from there. But Blumenthal in that quote said went to the uh, the Parkland students who have become celebrities on the left now. Right. And I don't mean all the Parkland students. I mean, the Parkland students that have mobilized for Democrat causes, primarily gun control, but really any cause now. I mean, I, I'm I was appalled for a while that that somehow, it you know, within corporate culture in America, David Hogg was able to say anything to anyone and if you said anything back to him, like, hey, you just don't know anything about what you're talking about, right? You were, oh, how could you? He's a child and he's traumatizing. You know. Oh, so, so we all just get to sit here while the left elevates somebody. They love this. I give, I give Ann Coulter so much credit, folks. You know, I mean, she's, she's seen all this stuff stretching back for so long. And uh, we're hoping to have her, I, I think we've got her for the Freedom Hut podcast this week. We're just going to have a kind of a, off-the-cuff conversation with her about a lot of things. Uh, so that'll be a fun. So make sure you download that Freedom Hut podcast this week. You'll also love Commie Bear and the Good Stuff. I took a break last week because things got crazy here in D.C., but I'm back in the saddle this week, I promise. But, you know, Ann wrote this book years ago uh, about how the left loves to use victims to make their points. And it's just so unseemly. But they do it over and over again. I mean, it is it is not just out of the playbook. It's like in the first couple of pages of the liberal propaganda playbook. Put someone out there, you know, put out a widow, put out a child who's been traumatized, put out, you know, you know, show a photo of a child crying and then just make the whole political issue. Well, do you, are you OK with crying children? What kind of monster are you? No one wants kids to cry. You know, we're, we're all just, you know, all of you listening to the show. I, I know how you feel because I feel the same way. You know, we're good people that are just trying to do the best we can every day and want the best possible for our country, want the best for our families, 
for ourselves and for, you know, for our communities, those around us, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can. We live by a code. We live with honor and decency and integrity, and we're trying to learn more as we go. We're trying to improve ourselves, and we feel very blessed to be in this country and to have such a an inc- the, the, the genius of the founding and of our Constitution holding all this together. You know, I, I don't look at people who disagree with me politically with disdain. I don't think that they hate babies, although, well, when we start talking about abortion, I mean, maybe I have to take that back, but... I, you know, I, I don't assume that they are full of of evil, but I do think that a lot of them are pushing some pretty evil ideas, which is a problem, uh, which is a problem. And, you know, so, so the Parkland students, though, being cited here by Blumenthal shows you what this is really all about, the opposition to Kavanaugh. It is about mobilizing the left in time for the midterms. Because right? we're... we're I'm going to ask you, you know, you don't have to answer this, and I guess technically you can't unless you call in, although you could tweet at me. By the way, you guys can always tweet at me live during the show. It's at Buck Sexton. I'm on a Twitter, too. There's a lot of ways you can talk to me. Uh, but, you know, there's, do we think that the Parkland students have really intricate thoughts on DCV Heller? I'm guessing no. I, I'm, and I don't mean this in, well, I'm just going to say it. How many of the Parkland students, and when I say the Parkland students, I mean the ones that are showing up at political rallies. I'm not talking about all the kids. A lot of them are just kids who are trying to live their lives and deal with a very difficult situation. But, I mean, how many of you do we think have read DCV Heller, the actual case? That is the single most important Supreme Court precedent on the right to bear arms. I, I'm, I, we, we, now, I can't prove this one way or the other. I'm guessing it's very few, if any. But he... A sitting U.S. senator calls out to a group of teenagers who have been traumatized but have been elevated by the left-wing media as not just advocates but attack dogs. I mean, they will go after people, right? They go And they go after people's sponsors. That hog kid, he likes to say, boycott, 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 go after people, fire them, have their staffs fired too, make it hard for them to feed their, don't let them share their ideas, make it hard for them to feed their families and pay their mortgages. I'm sorry, it's nasty, it's gross. And and I I was very displeased to see so many people kind of, uh, you know, just standing back and, and letting letting the Parkland, letting some of the Parkland students go after people's livelihood, you know, in a way that was just grotesque. It really was. Um, but Blumenthal cites them because this is about mobilization. This is about getting the left energy. Because what's the left going to be energized about right now? The country's doing great. Folks, that's what this is where you can't help but feel like the left really is rooting against America. The country's doing really well. Trump is doing well. They can tell me that, you know, he's, yeah, he's, you know, he's a little coarse. He's rough around the edges. He can be a little vulgar. Sometimes he says things or tweets things that, although most of his tweets I love, I'll be honest with you. But sometimes I'm like, ah, I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have, you know. But I also didn't basically single handedly defeat the, entire left-wing Democrat media establishment apparatus in a presidential election, and Trump did. So, you know, I got to kind of know my place, right? But I look at, what, I look at what's going on now, and, and I just can see that the, the desperation on the left is mounting because every, it's not just that they've been wrong about Trump. It's that everything that they've been telling themselves for their entire adult lives, and probably longer than that, is coming into question right now. 
that they're the smart ones, they're the good ones, they, you know, the moral people support their stuff, the smart people support their side, their policies are better for America, and people like Trump, people that see the world the way you and I do, we shouldn't be put in positions of leadership. We can't be trusted with power because we don't know what we're doing. In fact, we'll do bad things. Well, then how do they explain the results of what we're seeing? How do they explain a country that is in, in, a, in a, an absolutely booming economy? They're having to write pieces. Maybe I'll talk to you about this in a moment. They're having to write pieces about what happens. Oh, oh no, there's a labor shortage. You know what another name for labor shortage is? Workers' wages rising. Is it a labor shortage? You need someone to do a job? Pay more money. You'll get somebody, right? But employment is fantastic. There's so many things, and, and the focus on the left is not on we'll do things better or we'll improve things. It's just on hate and vitriol and nastiness. And it is not a fair comparison at all to say, oh, look at the Tea Party in the era of Obama. The Tea Party was saying we have a message, we have a purpose, we can define it. We know what it is. We are around it. We want the government to take the following actions. The hashtag resistance is just Trump is a Nazi. Trump is a traitor. Trump is a fascist. And all the people who support him, too. And they're all morally culpable as well. And Kavanaugh now is part of that collateral damage around Trump, right? They're going to go after him with everything that they've got. One more thing before I... Uh... I do want to switch off. I know we've talked about this judge thing a lot, but this is we're in a very important time here, folks. And it's the summer. Remember, as we get into the fall, it's gonna the heat's just gonna get turned up. You know, things are gonna get more tense. Uh, but you know, Shannon Bream last night, who is a Fox News anchor, and and I, I I've told you this before, I think, on the show. I mean, I know I sound like a fan. I I do her show. We're also at some level colleagues, but she's one of the nicest people I've I've ever met. Not in media, just period. She's one of the, if you ever see her, I'm telling you, if you're like, hey, Shannon, I like your work, she'll, you know, magically like a bunch of warm homemade cookies will just appear, you know, in a tray in her hands and she'll give them to you. Like, she's that nice. It's, she's the nicest person you can ever imagine. She had to cut her live report short last night from the steps of the Supreme Court because she felt like the uh, crowd that had gathered here in the swamp in D.C. was so hostile. That's the first time in her career that that's ever happened. Sure. She ended a live rush. She's like, I, 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 guys, I can't. This is getting too crazy. I'm, I am telling you, in this instance, it feels to me like Shannon's kind of the canary in the coal mine. You know, it feels to me like th- th- these are harbingers of things to come. And when you have somebody who's, by the way, she's, she's a tough cookie, too. A law degree, covering the court for a long time. You know, she's not somebody that I think would shy away from being in a, a, a difficult reporting situation, but it felt hostile, meaning she felt threatened, physically unsafe. Now, I know a lot of every, you know, red-blooded male member of Team Buck, and I'm sure all the ladies, too, are like, Shannon, we'd have your back 100, 110%, which is true, but we're not there. And she had to make a decision for her safety to end a live broadcast on the Supreme Court steps in our nation's capital because the president announced his nominee to the high court. What does that tell you about the mentality out there on the street and what's going on right now? I don't get worried about stuff easily. I was covering the Occupy Wall Street protest up close and personal. I saw people getting tackled in the streets. I saw people getting uh, uh, pepper sprayed and, you know, they were using all kinds of, you know, non-lethals to disperse crowds. And I was right there for that, right? I saw people getting roughed up left and right. 
And they deserved it, by the way, but a whole other thing. And you feel a sense of alienation and unease now in the streets of our nation's capital if you are conservative in a way that is chilling. And I'm telling you it's because they can't, they're getting to the point where they just can't handle it anymore. This is the flip side. Yeah, we are getting tired of winning, but they can't handle losing. And I don't know where that leads, but it does not lead to any place that's going to be good. And I think it could be dangerous. I think it actually could be violent. All right, I'll switch gears for, uh, for our sponsor here for a minute. We'll be back. Well, I have a solution. Tell people not to come to our country illegally. That's the solution. Don't come to our country illegally. Come like other people do. Come legally. I'm saying this very simply. We have laws. We have borders. Don't come to our country illegally. Isn't that so refreshing to hear? I mean, a president was just like, don't come here illegally. And he, and, he, and he means it. He's like, please don't come here illegally. That, that, that is not supposed to happen. It is, it is in fact, against the law. Okay? <laughs> that, hence the whole usage of the term illegal. We have been operating in this bizarre parallel universe where, uh, I, I got to tell you, you know, the, the language we're using is constantly tainted. The language we're using is intentionally inaccurate with the left and here you've got i think a uh oh my old colleague caitlin shallhorn is over to fox news i don't know there's her piece up on foxnews.com uh illegal border crossing would become felony offense under proposed gop bill here's what it says legislation introduced by representative diane black of tennessee tuesday made illegal entry in the u.s a felony offense something she would say would be a disincentive to people who think of crossing the border. Quote, the United States government should, no lo- uh, should never prioritize illegal immigrants over American citizens by no longer creating incentives to come to our country in- unlawfully. We also discourage families from sending their children on an often dangerous journey to reach our southern border. Yeah, that's right. There has to be some way to tell people don't do this. I would also note that for American citizens, there are a lot of things that are felonies that you'd be like, really? Felony, huh? You know, if you make a material misstatement on a mortgage application, it'd be felony felony bank fraud, folks. If you uh, record a conversation, you know, across state lines, it could be uh, felony wiretapping. I mean, you start to look at what, what can get you felony charges if you're an American citizen, you go, hmm. And then you think about all of the forethought to I'm going to come into America. I'm going to evade the I'm going to evade Border Patrol. I'm going to evade the authorities and take something of value, which is the the right to be in the United States. That is a thing of value. Once we start to understand that illegal aliens are engaged in a form of theft, then I think maybe we can come to a more rational policy about immigration and how to punish it and how to enforce this. Because you got to pay your taxes no matter what. Uh, by the way, I've got a whole study that I'm reading through right now. Uh, Professor Borjas up at uh, Harvard has done a deep dive into... I mean, he's the best guy in immigration in the country. And he's done a deep dive into, do immigrants cost us money or not? 
illegal immigrants. Pardon me. Illegal immigrants, meaning illegal aliens. Here's a hint. Yup, they do. Uh, so hopefully I'll get into that study soon. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, we're going to talk NATO in just a few. And Trump going to NATO. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. You know, I I mentioned to you that conspiracy theory. I just wanted to follow up on this about uh, Kennedy. So this was an NBC News reporter, uh, Jeff Bennett, who wrote, Source Familiar tells NBC that Justice Kennedy had been in negotiations with the Trump team for months over Kennedy's replacement. Once Kennedy received assurances that it would be Kavanaugh, his former law clerk, Kennedy felt comfortable retiring. And then there was a, uh, a clear. Remember, I told you that's all crap. There's a clarification here. I've deleted this tweet because it incorrectly implies a transactional nature in Kennedy's replacement. I am told by a source who is not directly part of the talks that Kennedy provided President Trump uh, White House a list of acceptable replacements. If that's not fake news, then what is fake news? A follow-on tweet that's like, yeah, actually the whole premise of this thing, that there was some like Machiavellian smoke-filled room scheme, you know, that actually wasn't true. But, but I, you know, and this is what really, this is what really burns my butt. Uh, this, the first tweet got almost 12,000 retweets, which for those of you who aren't in Twitter world, that's like pretty much going viral from an NBC news reporter. The one that said there's this, you know, this transactional relationship and bad things. The second tweet, I want you to take a guess. I know I can't hear you. So the first tweet about the conspiracy, about how Kennedy and Trump, all this cabal can. Second tweet got, so the first one got 12,000. The correction tweet, 27. Oh, wow. People seem so much less interested in the truth. It's almost like they all wanted to believe the big bad Trump story. And then when it was all a lie, nobody cares. Nobody cares. This is what the media is. But, you know, if, if this were CNN, I'm sure NBC is the same. CNN would be like, oh, we corrected it. Oh, we're not fake news here. Yeah. It's about how you correct it, folks. It's about the impact you have. It's about also the recklessness in the initial accusation. Sometimes I talk to you about how the left eats its own because they can't keep up and they, they have this constantly evolving language and constantly changing, you know, social justice warriors. They're, they're almost like the Aztecs. Social justice warriors need human sacrifice. You know, they, they need to be constantly making examples of people to make themselves feel like they're doing something. Scarlett Johansson, who by the way, is dating my high school classmate. Side note. Good job, Colin. Gotta say. High five to him. Um, but Scarlett Johansson is, uh, is, has been cast in as a transgender man in the movie, quote, Rub and Tug. I'm, that's the name of the movie. And the trans community is upset with Scarlett Johansson because they are saying she is, get ready for it, appropriating the trans experience and that the trans community is upset because the cisgender or binary gender community 
keeps doing this, and this now has to stop. They're very upset about this. Uh, Add to this that at Business Insider, a left-wing website that's nominally about business, but really very generally about left-wing stuff, Business Insider published an editorial by a, a woman who said, the social justice warriors need to calm down. An actress or actor or just, you know, anyone who's an actor is paid to pretend to be other people that we do not have this standard of you have to be the thing you are pretending to be with the uh, with the one exception. I think you could say the one exception of you don't want actors appearing in blackface. Right. That's a I think that's. Culturally, I think that's just widely accepted and understood, although there are some exceptions to that. I mean, you think of Tropic Thunder, that movie with uh, Ben Affleck. There was, sure enough, somebody was in blackface, and that's become controversy, but anyway. So even with that, there are there are exceptions at some times. But generally speaking, actors play people that they are not. And, you know, you have Tootsie, where you had Duffman, Dustin Hoffman playing a woman. I mean, men play women, women play men. In fact, the roots of... The theater, go back to Shakespearean times, are all women were played by men. So, you know, this is this is the world of make-believe, folks, right? That's what acting is. But now the social justice warriors of the transgender community are upset about this because they, they want trans people to play tra- trans people in real life to be the actors playing trans people in movies. This is I, I've this is a new standard. I, I was unaware of this until now. And there's a lot of a lot of problems with this. And originally Scarlett Johansson's I know, but right, you're like, Buck, why because do doesn't this just show you how just this is just all lunacy, right? They're just crazy. What what are they what are we what are they even talking about here? Um but originally Scarlett Johansson said uh, or through an agent or whatever that they should go talk to Jeffrey Tambor, Jared Leto, and Felicity Huffman, all of whom have played you know, the other gender and, and roles and gotten a lot of acclaim for it. And people freaked out about that. Business Insider published an editorial critiquing the freak out of the social justice wars. I know this is uh, I'm, I'm we're going to switch to NATO in a moment here. This is getting crazy. Business Insider publishes an editorial criticizing the social justice warrior critics of Scarlett Johansson playing a transgender man. And then Business Insider, this website, which does a lot of traffic, it's very well known, pulls down that editorial, folks, because the staff at Business Insider is so upset at how offensive the editorial is because it calls out the people who were calling out Scarlett Johansson for playing a transgender man in a movie. I mean, in a, in a way, this is this like kaleidoscope funhouse crazy this is modern leftism it's just all feelings and sensitivity and rage and and it doesn't make any sense this is what these people focus on this is what the democrats the left the media this is what they you know we've got i mean i really mean this we've got cancer to cure you know we've got people in poverty we've got kids that are underperforming in schools way too much we got a trillion dollars of student loan debt we have real problems. And there's going to be media. T- I mean, there's been real attention. This is really getting everyone all fired up. We're going we're gonna to make a big deal over a famous actress playing somebody in a movie that 
is a person who is of the mindset that they are another gender. It's not a physical characteristic, folks. It is not based on biology. Transgenderism is not biologically based because if it were, then people that didn't have that biology wouldn't be able to claim they were transgender. It is a psychological state. So we are now demanding that people who play, that that actors who rely on the psychological state of pretend need to actually be in real life people who are in the psychological state of thinking they're a different gender. I mean, folks, I just gave myself a headache. But this is what we are up against. This is what gets the left energized. This is what they want to be teaching our kids in school. This is what they want to focus on with with their media stories and everything. And they have abandoned sanity. I've said it before. I'll say it again. To be competitive in elections, all the left has to do is not be crazy. And what we see time and again is they just can't do it. They're nuts. NATO coming up. So I have NATO, I have the UK, which is in somewhat turmoil, and I have Putin. Frankly, Putin may be the easiest of them all. Who would think? Who would? Well, we do have a lot of allies, but we cannot be taken advantage of. We're being taken advantage of by the European Union. Uh, we lost $151 billion last year on trade. And on top of that, we spend at least 70% for NATO. And frankly, it helps them a lot more than it helps us. So we'll see what happens. There you have the president talking about uh, what's going to happen with, with NATO. He's saying, look, you know, they, they take advantage of us. There's some things that need to change here. And I know, I know a lot of people push back on Trump for this. You get a lot of establishment, national security types. You say, oh, my gosh, he's, you know, spitting in our allies' faces. I, I don't think that's fair about this. And I think also it's it's always worthwhile to know why you believe the things you do. And with NATO, what you hear from a lot of people is a series of talking points that aren't really tied to a whole lot of background or knowledge. Right. Oh, NATO is the most important alliance of the 20th century. Okay, we're in the 21st century. And NATO existed as a counterweight to the Warsaw Pact, the Soviet Union. Right. There was a reason for it. We were afraid the Soviet Union was going to, with good reason, because they started the process to sweep into Europe, take it over, and communism would, you know, the the Iron Curtain would lock people into uh, decades of misery via communism, which, by the way, is a close cousin of socialism, which is something that some Democrats in this country like to say is a good thing. Uh, But there was a reason for NATO that was quite clear, and it served that purpose for a very long time. When you look at the situation now, I think a lot of people would be surprised that this this upcoming uh, NATO summit, for example, gets tied into, say, Prime Minister Theresa May of the United Kingdom sending 440 non-combat troops to Afghanistan. Got a total of 1,100 troops in Afghanistan. You might be thinking, what is NATO doing in Afghanistan exactly? Uh, And... 
what are any of us doing in Afghanistan might even be a better question these days. Everyone I speak to who knows the situation on the ground there and is familiar with the dynamics at play in Afghanistan say that we're, we're just not, it's not going to happen. We're not going to stabilize it. We're not going to beat the Taliban. It's not going to happen. As long as you have the Pakistani sanctuary right there and Pakistan playing a double game against us and a dysfunctional, corrupt kleptocracy run out of Kabul, you're not going to have this country that is stable and self uh, and, and able to defend itself. And th- that's just I, I know people don't like to hear that, but we want to keep some troops there in advisory roles. We've got troops in a lot of places all the world in advisory roles. Fine, but let's not let's not kid ourselves. Right. But as for NATO's role there, you got another. I mean, I think got nothing to do with the Soviet Union. We're not worried that Russia is about to invade Afghanistan. In fact, at this point, I think we'd say have at it. You know, let's see what you guys you know, they, they you'd think they learned their lesson there the first time. But. Then again, you'd think that we would have learned the lesson that they learned or that the British learned multiple times before the Soviets or that the Mongols learned before the Soviets or that Alexander the Great with the Macedonians learned before the Mongols learned. And I think you could probably find some others in there that I've even left off the list. A whole lot of folks have tried to pacify Afghanistan, whatever that means, and they have all left. Uh, but so this this NATO discussion you're you're going to see this framed as an opportunity to bash trump i gotta say uh you know, ra fleischer has been really doing some good commentary lately and i like what he had to say on this play 16 well if you want to strengthen the nato alliance which is an alliance that we absolutely support and want to strengthen think how much stronger it would be if all 18 nations paid their two percent or more instead of just the four nations that do it that's the real problem with NATO is it can't carry its own weight because so many nations are not carrying their own share of the burden. The United States is and only three other nations. This is not a new issue for NATO. It's not as if they only started to underspend recently. They've chronic, chronically underspent. Donald Trump is the one guy who comes along and bangs the table and gets more results, it appears. Uh, Ari's right on the substance there, but actually he, he made one little little boo-boo. Uh, 29 members of NATO, not 18. Uh, so just that he just, you know, look, I, I'm just correcting the record there. I, people all, if you're, if whenever you start throwing numbers out, and you're doing commentary, it's very easy to make a little mistake like that. Um, but NATO, there are a lot of NATO countries. We, we brought Montenegro into the NATO alliance recently. I mean, think about some of the countries that are part of this alliance now. So we are committed to the defense of tiny countries of no national security significance to the United States or really even Europe in a broader sense. And the original reason for NATO existing is that it is to prevent the Warsaw Pact from swallowing up the rest of Europe. Uh, The Soviet Union is gone. Russia is uh, a gas station with a lot of nukes right now in terms of its global power. And gas is still at a very low price. So the Russian economy is in bad shape. You know, Russia does not have the ability to just sweep in and overwhelm our European allies. But then what is the rationale behind why can't they pay their 2%, right? Trump is just asking the question that anybody who shows up and sits down at a NATO meeting who isn't, who hasn't bought into all the talking points, who hasn't just, oh, well, this is what the smart people say. Just like on trade, right? Trump says, well, hold on a second. Why does China get away? Why does China get to do this, but we're told we can't? And why does China keep getting richer and richer despite the fact that they have tariffs? We're told, oh, no, tariffs are terrible ideas. There's nothing to be gained from it. Oh, clearly someone's wrong on this one. Someone is not 
telling the truth, right? Trump approaches these problems as just a normal, rational, dare I say, shrewd, street smart person. You see, that's one of the, ess- the, the essence of Trumpism on the, on the global stage is to approach incredibly complicated situations with street smarts and with guts. And with street smarts and guts, you can actually accomplish a lot in the world. Because when you are staring down dictators, when you are dealing with a bunch of frou-frou bureaucrats in Europe, you got to be blunt, you got to be straightforward, you got to shake things up and see things for what they are, not the way the other side wants to present them to you. All this diplomatic nicety and everything else. That's why the EU president, uh, Donald Tusk, is that really his name? Wow. Interesting. Uh, that's why when he says stuff like this, I say, you know what, buddy? Here, play 13. Dear President Trump, America does not have and will not have a better ally than Europe. Today, Europeans spend on defense many times more than Russia and as much as China. And I think you can have no doubt, Mr. President, that this is an investment in common American and European defense and security, which can't be said with confidence about Russian or Chinese spending. Dear America, appreciate your allies. After all, you don't have that many. I don't really get that last part. We actually do have a ton of allies, buddy. Why don't you slow your roll there, Tusk? Uh, But Trump is not saying he doesn't want to be allies. Trump is not saying NATO should go away. He's just saying, hey, guys. Dare I say, to borrow from Obama, pay your fair share. That doesn't seem that crazy to me. And I don't think it should seem crazy to anyone under the circumstances. But we'll see what happens at this NATO summit. We'll be talking more about it. Stay with me, too. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Uh, The British people had a referendum to decide on our future. We voted to leave the European Union, to leave its court, to leave its lawmaking processes, to take back control of our borders and our money. Simple as. And yet, this Prime Minister, Theresa May, who incidentally was a Remain voter in the referendum, presented a plan that basically said we would still stay part of many bits of the European Union, including the customs union, um, the lawmaking process, all of which would mean we were taking rules from elsewhere without having a say. It would prevent us probably from having a trade deal with America and other countries. And it was nothing less, Martha, than a total betrayal of what people had voted for in that referendum. Is there a deep state in the UK that is betraying the will of the people? Via Brexit. That was Nigel Farage there, folks. We actually have Nigel's former chief of staff with us now. He's also an author. I'm sure you've seen him on Fox News. Raheem Kassam joins. Raheem, great to have you back on the program. What is going on with Brexit right now? I'm seeing people are quitting. There's a lot of consternation. 
Well, Bug, thanks again for having me. I think the last time I joined you, I was on the cobble streets of Rome, uh, and they were trying to cobble together a new government. Uh, I am now in an airport waiting to hit the ground in London. So it seems wherever I go in the world, there's political turmoil, and I'm starting to wonder whether it's linked to me in some way. We won't blame Um, you yet. We have a we have a very bizarre situation. As, as you know, your listeners will know, on June the twenty third of two thousand and sixteen, ahead of uh, Trump's election, the British public voted to leave the European Union. That meant, as far as they were concerned, leaving the common trade market, the single market, the European court systems, all of the things that have kept uh, this big behemoth, this big bureaucratic behemoth of the EU together. Well, what happened in the very next day is that David Cameron resigned, and the Conservative Party chose this Remain campaigner, this anti-Brexit campaigner, Theresa May, as the Prime Minister. And for the last two years, her and her government have tried to thwart the uh, British public's vote, uh, you know, the, the, the majority vote in the largest democratic exercise that the United Kingdom has ever seen. And that culminated on Friday in a meeting at Chequers, the Prime Minister's private summer residence, where she presented to her cabinet a deal that she wanted to do with the European Union that would mean that we didn't leave uh, the common regulatory area, that we didn't uh, have our own uh, justice and our own courts as uh, supreme again, and that we didn't control our own borders and therefore our own destiny. As a result of that meeting, several senior cabinet ministers such as Boris Johnson, the Foreign Secretary, you know, our equivalent to your Secretary of State, uh, as well as the Brexit Minister, which was a new position created for the entire Brexit process. Well, they both resigned, and you've had a bunch of uh, lower-level ministers and and private parliamentary secretaries, advisors to ministers, and so on and so forth, resigning as well. So when President Trump said this morning that, you know, the UK is in a state of turmoil, fuck, I think he was putting it mildly. Now, the, the, the Remain folks, uh, they feel like, w- what is the calamity that is going to befall? I mean, I, I am having fatigue from the left in this country, and I, I believe it extends to Europe, too, uh, from, you know, net neutrality means we're all going to die. Climate change means we're all going to die. Trump means we're all going to die. I mean, there's, there is such a sense of, of panic at every political loss that the left uh, suffers here and, and, and abroad. What are they so worried about, Raheem, with Brexit? Why do you have someone like Theresa May, who seems to be taking the position that to save democracy, she has to undermine it? Well, and, you know, before the referendum, we had our prime minister at the time, David Cameron, going on national television and saying that if we voted for Brexit, it would more than likely lead to World War Three. And, of course, you saw the scenes outside the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. last night um, as as the president announced uh, uh, his pick. Uh, and, and people sort of in full-scale panic as if a world war was upon us as a result of this. Here's, here's what they detest. They've spent, and I, I mean the left, but I also mean the political establishment, which are sort of more sort of centrist neoliberal, if you ask me, but they have spent the last couple of decades building these bureaucratic institutions around the world. And they thought the entire thing was done and dusted. They thought they had control of, you know, the monetary system, especially with the euro currency. They thought they had control of the court system, control of taxation, control of the Supreme Court. You know, everything for them was just tickety-boo. They didn't have to worry about a thing. Well, in 2016, those two things came crashing down within six months of each other. You know, the British showed that you don't have to be members of the European Union, that you can be an independent, sovereign, trading, secure, bordered nation. And then President Trump comes along with almost the very same 
uh, policy platform, the, the, a Brexit manifesto for America, if you will, uh, and won the election as well. And both of those two things massively, massively, both against the pollsters, against the betting markets, and of course, against the politicians and the political activists uh, who were trying to avoid them. So for them, I mean, you know, they argue that the world will come crashing down. It's because their world has come crashing down. It's because their institutions are, are now at risk. It's because President Trump will go to NATO this week and demand that NATO countries act like partners and not as protectorates of the United States. Uh, well, they don't like any of that because because they're greedy, they're lazy, um, and they thought they had won. And I'm so glad to say they haven't. Now, I mean, just just even doing a, a quick read through of some of the opinions you'll see out there right now on this. And we're speaking to Raheem Kassam, everyone. He was he was chief of staff for Nigel Farage. You've also, I'm sure, uh, read a lot of his work, including No Go Zones, a book I can highly re- recommend to all of you. A uh, piece in the New York Times right now. Speak, speaking of kind of the political establishment and and the elites. Opinion piece up here. Boris Johnson has ruined Britain. I, I feel like that's inherently an extreme statement, but it doesn't feel like it's out of place from what you're seeing from a lot of the consensus centrist political uh, establishment opinion. Do you remember, Buck, that the, 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 the political establishment were telling us for a very long time that they were the adults in the room? Uh, that they were the ones who could take the serious decisions and that people like you and I and your listeners, you know, the great deplorables of the world, um, were not to be let anywhere near the levels of power. Well, look at how they've collectively acted over the last two years. You know, the Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness. Uh, the New York Times today, Boris Johnson has ruined Britain. I mean, this is hysteria. And this is now mass hysteria. I guess in the U.S. you call it Trump derangement syndrome. We have our own sort of Brexit derangement syndrome going on in the U.K. They've actually showed themselves to not be the adults in the room, to not be serious people. You know, you've got you've got a president who's bringing people uh, uh, like Kim Jong Un to the negotiating table, and no matter how that process is going, you know, it's extraordinary in itself that that's happening. Uh, that is is presiding over the lowest Hispanic unemployment in decades, the lowest black unemployment in history. I mean, those are, as far as I'm concerned, those are the adults in the room. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that President Trump talks like the adult in the room, but actually, sometimes, you know, when you talk about these sorts of things, you have to be a little bit more robust and a little bit more edgy to get the job done. Well, that's what Boris did. That's what Boris did when he resigned from the cabinet. It's what Boris did when he said the Brexit dream under Theresa May is coming to an end. And as I say, I'm about to board a flight to London right now. Uh, and, and as ever, I'm terrified that they're going to stop me on, on entry and say, sorry, sir, no extremists allowed. Um, but but th- th- this, is the, this is the world in which we live, uh, which is that the hysterical political establishment and the hysterical political left still feel like they have some, some right uh, to dictate the terms of the policy debate, even though they lost and they keep losing. Look across Europe, keep losing major national, international elections and referendums. It almost is like when in this country one candidate loses an election and, and about half the electorate acts like it didn't count or it doesn't count. We're seeing this. The, the, the people, Raheem, I'm noticing a trend here. The people that I see who speak the loudest about democratic institutions and the need to protect democratic institutions, and it, it almost is this, this manic repetition about those kinds of things, are the same people who, whenever those institutions don't go their way, whether it's Brexit or the U.S. presidential election, are like, well, someone cheated. Or, or actually, we're just yeah. not going to do that. The DOJ, even in this country, we're not going to produce documents for Congress, and we're not going to do what the president says. 
Well, democracy is all well and good by these people as soon as they stop winning elections. So you look at the hysteria surrounding Viktor Orban in Hungary, for instance. This is a, uh, a man who just ended up with two-thirds of the parliamentary vote in his country, running on a populist nationalist platform, uh, very similar to President Trump, very similar to the Brexit campaigns. We even shared some of the same uh, posters. Uh, uh, across our two campaigns with, with Viktor Orban. And what does the, what does the New York Times say about him? What does, what does Slate say about him? What do all these guys say? Oh, he's an anti-democrat. Well, hold on. He's just won the biggest majority in the Hungarian parliament since the country was, was able to exercise its independence again. Um, so yes, it is, it is, you know, we play by different rules. And, and I'm afraid. The likes of you and I, you know, we've always played by the rules and thought, actually, you know, if you do things the right way and God is on your side, things will come, come around okay. Well, we're beginning to realize that actually playing by the rules can sometimes end with us, un, end with us on the back foot repeatedly. And so uh, what do we have to do? We have to actually act like the insurgents that the left has acted like for so very long. And I believe that what you saw in the United Kingdom this week and what you're going to see over the next couple of weeks is almost a sort of guerrilla insurgency from within the conservative movement against Theresa May and her attempts to stop Brexit. Raheem Kassam, everybody. Raheem, where can they go to read your latest and follow your work? Uh, well, get everything on my Twitter feed. It's at Raheem Kassam. That's R-A-H-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M. That's the best place. Fantastic. Have a good flight. Stick with the Chivas. The tequila on a flight sometimes can kind of dry you out a little bit. Enjoy, my friend. Thanks so much. Cheers. Uh, team, we're going to roll into a quick break. we got so much more coming. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. So uh, we get to sometimes break news down here at The Hill, and I've been telling you all to check out my show during the week, hill.tv slash rising. The show is called Rising. We have with us veteran journalist and also executive vice president of Hill TV, John Solomon, with us. He has a piece up right now. Did the FBI get bamboozled by multiple versions of the Trump dossier? This is up on thehill.com. John, great work on this. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, great to be with you, Buck. So please walk me through a bit of, of what happened here. It looks like a whole bunch of circular reporting with this anti-Trump dossier. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So there are new FBI memos that have been belatedly turned over to Congress. And what they do is they very much change the narrative around what we know as the Christopher Steele dossier, the MI6, former MI6 agent who was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign to dig up dirt in Hillary Clinton. And what we've been told is that he met with the FBI, gave a version of the dossier. They worked with him for a little bit of a time. Then they fired him because he was talking to the media in violation of human source rules. The FBI doesn't let its confidential sources talk to the media. Uh, and so in general, for the last year and a half, we've assumed that there was this one dossier document. It turns out the FBI had four different versions of the dossier. And it's very important because each version came from a different person. According to these new memos, one came from the journalist David Korn, a, a liberal who opposed Trump. One came uh, from Senator John McCain, uh, a Republican who was not very fond of President Trump. And a third version came from uh, Glenn Simpson, the founder of Fusion GPS, the man who hired um, uh, Steele to do the work. All three of those are significant because each version has differences in it, meaning the FBI had different versions of the dossier. Uh, to the timing of each one walking themselves into the FBI was most likely coordinated by someone who was trying to influence the FBI. 
and it creates a loop. What, what the intelligence uh, community you, you mentioned is circular reporting. It's exactly what the FBI is supposed to try to avoid when they're doing a sensitive investigation do, like Russia. Do we have any sense as to whether this raised some red flags in the FBI? You would think that if they were going to use this dossier in a FISA warrant application, which we also which know, they which they did do, that the notion that there are variations of the same dossier getting passed around would have to mean that some dossiers are more accurate than others, and if some are more accurate than others, some have to have information that's not true. I mean, did the FBI did this raise any alarms that we know of? Well, one of the big questions is chain of custody. When new facts are added, who added them? Are we sure it was Steele since the FBI had ended its relationship with Steele? Was it an effort by Steele to keep getting information to the FBI even though he had been terminated? It doesn't look like the FBI agents raised those questions. In fact, just the opposite. We now know from these documents and earlier documents, what was going on was they were taking stories that were about the dossier in the media and using them to support the FISA warrant, even they know that even though they knew it was from the same uh, tree. And I think uh, all the people I've talked to, people who are intelligence professionals, people in Congress, people in the oversight community for the justice and intelligence communities, have all told me there was an extraordinary circular intelligence flow of information here that should have been flagged to the courts, to the FBI supervisors. And really what was going on here was the FBI's most sensitive operations, the counterintelligence division, was being used to become a political opposition research arm for Hillary Clinton and her supporters. That's what the fear is here. So, I mean, circular reporting for everybody listening, this is like if Bob tells something to Susie and Susie tells something to Bill and then Bill tells something to Matt and then he thinks that there are three different sources of the information based upon the fact that you have different people that have passed around the same information. That's right. That's so th- right. this is, I mean, when you think about it, e- even if you're writing a term paper and you cite all these different sources, if it only comes from one source, that's considered unethical in academia. For the FBI, for FISA warrants, for surveillance, you would think that the vetting of the sources they're using to unleash some of the most awesome intelligence weapons that there are would be a little bit tougher, John. I mean, I used to be in the community. I'm looking at this stuff like, this never would have flown in my office. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, your experience in the CIA, the analytical work you do, you look for these red flags and you try to ensure that the final product is good. I think there's a a real strong emerging picture that we now have in the intelligence community, and that is the original work product that said Russia tried to hack election computers, tried to hack some of Hillary Clinton's emails. That work product is really solid. It's based on solid intelligence work. All the work product that tried to connect Donald Trump to a collusion conspiracy with the Russians was based on this sort of more shoddy, politically oriented content that the FBI people were handling. It had to know from the sources. We know they tried to hide the fact that it was paid for by Hillary Clinton in the in the FISA warrant. We know that they tried to pretend the story was an independent corroboration of the of the uh, dossier when, in fact, they knew it was a derivative of the dossier. It really makes you wonder whether in this process, as some of the people have said to me, the FBI either got bamboozled or willingly allowed itself to become an arm of the political opposition research. Is uh, is it fair to say that from what your sources have already told you, and by the way, if you guys haven't seen it, we've got a, a long history here up on the hill.com of John breaking stories and in recent weeks breaking stories about Russia collusion or the lack thereof, about malfeasance at DOJ, at the FBI, dealing with the Inspector General report. Uh, So, John, given all of that background and history, are your sources telling you that the next shoe to drop here, the next phase of getting the truth out, meaning what happened in the Russia collusion investigation, not the Hillary email investigation, is going to be markedly worse and perhaps even more damaging for the DOJ and for some folks on the on 
in Democratic Party circles? I mean, is, is that fair to say based on what you know so far? I know we're not there yet. Yeah. So I always hate to take a leap of faith. So let me tell you, I'll stay within the facts that I know. First off, tomorrow morning's a very important day. Lisa Page will be uh, going uh, before the committee and testifying. It's the first time Congress had a chance to talk to her. Secondly, Glenn Simpson testified previously. He never provided a copy of the dossier to the FBI. These memos suggest otherwise. Either Strokes memos or or uh, Johnson uh, or Glenn Simpson have not told the truth. And the third thing is I'm beginning to hear inklings that Congress fears that the CIA may have been complicit in, in running the FBI around in this intelligence loop and feeding them information, pressuring them. And I think that's where the investigation is going to go next. Was the CIA trying to influence the FBI with this circular intelligence reporting? That's going to be big, guys. We're going to be following it here at The Hill. John will be breaking stories. We'll be talking about it on hill.tv slash rising. Please all check it out. We'll be live tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Eastern, hill.tv slash rising. And go to thehill.com for the latest. This one by John. Did the FBI get bamboozled by multiple versions of the Trump dossier? The answer is yes. Uh, but we'll be back with much more. And, John, thanks so much for joining. I got to be here. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Hey, guys, before we get into uh, the roll call, we had some great interviews this hour, by the way. Right? Raheem Kassam, John Solomon. We're lining it up today, baby. It's how we roll in the Freedom Hut. Uh, but before we get into the roll call, which I, which is indeed how we roll, and uh, it's really one of the, it's a part of the show that I look forward to every day in a lot of ways, so it's one of the reasons why it's, I, I keep it, save the best for last. Uh, I, I just had to hand out a buck slap today. Yeah! We, maybe we should get a more fearsome sounding slap. I like that one, though. I've started to... I've started to uh, get used to that one. But so you, you get uh, Jeffrey Tubin over at CNN, who, who is their favorite legal analyst and says stuff all the time that makes me think is part of Tubin's brand. Now, he's the chief legal analyst at CNN. I wonder, is part of his brand saying things that are obviously wrong and saying it with an almost unbelievable confidence, right? Like to just be super duper wrong but to be super duper wrong in a way where people think, wow, that guy really thinks what he's saying is true. That's almost amazing because he's so wrong. Here is some of his analysis on the framers and the Supreme Court. Play the clip, please. When the Constitution was written in the, seven, in, in the late 18th century, people were expected to die in their 50s. The, the framers never contemplated that these terms would regularly go to 30-plus years as they do now. And, you know, that, that, I'm glad everybody's living longer, but that's what raises the stakes on these, appoint, on, on these nomination fights so much, so much more because they serve for so long. Mm. Okay, uh, a few things here. First of all, and a lot of, a lot of people in this audience know a lot of, a lot of, their, a lot of their history. Anyone want to guess how old? Thomas Jefferson was when he died? Wasn't in his 50s. He was 83. Anybody want to guess how old John Adams was when he died? He wasn't in his 50s. He was 90. Anyone want to guess how old Ben Franklin was when he died? No, no, not in his 50s. He was 84. I think, I think it is fair to say that the framers were aware of the fact that lifetime appointments would not end in their 50s. <laughs> I, think, I think that this is the case. 
Uh, I, you know, and and it's just fascinating. I mean, this reminds me of when Ezra Klein, who is is revered among the progressive left, used to almost have like his own entrance to the White House in the Obama era. I, I don't know the guy; I just know his work. Um, but it sort of strikes me as really the the ultimate beta male uh, on the left. You know, a guy who is all about the numbers and progressivism, and and he's so progressive that it's. You know, you feel like the positions are going to change all the time because progressivism changes all the time. Uh, but he once said something on MSNBC along the lines of like, well, you can't tell what's going on with the Constitution because, you know, it's really, really old. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically, you know, he's like, it's, it's really hard to know the intent because it's really, really old. It's like, well, it's the English language and uh, our laws are built in it. And, you know, the Ten Commandments are pretty old, too. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are pretty old that still have a whole lot of meaning but back to Tubin, that cnn analyst you know you do get the sense that there's a desperate scrambling out there for reasons why the supreme court situation now is more dire more terrifying or more inexplicable than at any other time it's just not the case that's why you need to check out my buck wild video which is on facebook where i say that the liberals have there's not been such a large puddle of liberal tears since Donald Trump's election. And it's really not necessary here. We, we don't put judges in place who try to tyrannize the left. We put judges in place who try to stop the tyranny of the American tyranny against the American people overall. We want rule of law and individual liberty for everybody, even the leftist status progressives who don't particularly care about that stuff these days. They're the ones that like to put people on the bench who go, this is it, you know, bake that cake, bend the knee, do what we say. We're more like, all right, I mean, is it in the Constitution? If it's not, it's for the states. Enjoy. You know, we have a very different attitude about these things and one that is in keeping with the founding. Also, by the way, I just would note, can we get Tubin to reflect on, you know, Social Security and, uh, and Medicare and those things, too. If we're going to talk about age and age limits and people getting older and living longer and healthier and how that affects public policy. No, but I don't think he's going to talk about that one. Oh, anyway. Yeah, that's right. The, the founding fathers couldn't have imagined people living past their 50s, except they all did by about 30 years. So there you have it, folks. CNN's best. We'll be right back. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. That's right, Plato's Funky Roll Call beats, everybody. Team, so good to hear from you via the Roll Call. If you want to be a part of it, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Send me your thoughts. Love reading them. Up late at night, reading and responding as fast as I can. Uh, and please do check out on facebook.com slash Buck Sexton my most recent or my first and most recent buck wild which is a short form video we put up now it's kind of like uh i don't know an, an opinion editorial or something where you just i get up there and i'm like whoa here's what i think about things please like it and share it so my bosses here are like oh you mean team buck doesn't just listen on radio they will also watch you do video things that will help me it'll help grow the freedom hut to maybe being like a freedom house at some point we're still a hut one day we'll be a house Eventually, we'll be a castle. Uh, but in the meantime, all of your assistance very much appreciated. All right, let's get into it. Nathaniel writes, Hey, Buck, Shields High. I really appreciate your approach to your role on Rising. 
It is very difficult for liberals to absorb a counterpoint through all the layers of MSM fallacies coating their brains. Keeping it real and kind is the best we've got. I would like to point out that Crystal makes frequently at a point to get in the last word, even if she is repeating the last thing she said. You're a nice guy about it, but it's working for her. Not that you should always have the last word, but perhaps that's something you guys could even out. I would like to add that the fear over Trump's Supreme Court selection is palpable from every liberal that appears on Rising. If they really have so much confidence in their blue wave, why are they so afraid of a justice who might favor the president in a court battle? If they win the Congress, they could impeach and convict, right? Keep up the good fight, Nathaniel. And I I just got, I, I'm very blessed to have the job I do, to have the family I do, to, I'm just very blessed. I'm also very blessed to have people listening to this show who are all so insightful and eloquent and also just such good people. I mean, you know, it's funny. I mentioned yesterday on the show uh, about how somebody in D.C. just saw me and just walked past. She said, Shields High. And I just, yeah, Shields High. Uh, just kept going. And that was really nice, man, because here in the swamp, it can be a little lonely. And, you know, my mom heard that. And my mom felt really nice about that one, too, because she listens to the show. My family listens whenever they can. And so, you know, that guy just gave me a high five for the team and made me look good in front of my mom. So... You know, all of you out there that, that write, that listen, that are a part of what I'm doing here, it is so appreciated. It really is. He's going home to his mom. Say hello <laughs> to mommy. John. Oh man, you get you you get it for you get the prize for the month, my friend, with that. That was a perfect John is a drop ninja. He pulls out the drops like a straight up ninja. Producer John knows how to get it done. Uh, next up there is Dan. Uh, he, whoa, Dan. Uh, I love you, my man, but this is a bit long. Here we go. Buck, love your show. Recently removed my radio source, so I've missed several days of broadcast. Wasn't tired of you, I promise. Having missed several shows, I don't have much on my mind. Uh, I'll start looking online for what I can find compliments of you. And then he gives me a whole bunch more stuff. Thank you very much, Dan. Julie. Julie has, you know, I also get to see people like, Julie has a photo of the most adorable baby in her photo. I mean, it looks like a little Gerber baby, you know, like the baby that's going to sell the baby food to the other babies because the moms would be like, oh, my gosh, that baby's so cute. Uh, so, Julie, your kid is super cute. Um, all right, here she writes. Hi, Buck. Uh, I hope this is the roll call thing or else I don't know what I'm doing. Yes, live radio. Here we are, Julie. It is roll call. Listening to the podcast on July 9th, your show is great. It's very refreshing to hear someone my age who's conservative and Catholic. Definite trust points for that. I just have some thoughts about an HRC universe. I believe she should have been president eight years ago instead of Obama and that our country would not have been in such a wretched place if she had uh, if she had won instead of Trump. Every day I'm thankful for Trump. It wouldn't have been her presidency. It'd be a continuation of Obama's and she would have been too afraid to do anything but sit there. She can't do anything without a poll telling her which direction to face. Also want to say that your life is better for never watching Greece. Don't do it. It's awful. So is love, actually. Looking forward to the Tuesday show. Thank you, Julie, uh, with the adorable baby. Um, Julie, there's so much that is correct in, in what you write. I'm, I'm almost overwhelmed by all, the, all of the brilliance. Uh, love, actually, is a terrible movie. You know, I mean, the fact when you get whatever that guy's name is, that was like the uh, Hugh, Hugh Grant, you know, he's like, oh, I'm, just, I'm so British and I talk like this all the time and women just find it so disarming and so charming to talk like this all the time. Uh, you know, Hugh Grant had some problems back in the 90s, if you remember. Side note, 
but you know, he's in the movie. He's like, you know, David Beckham's left foot, David Beckham's right foot. I'm like, you're the prime minister, and you're you're sweating David Beckham's feet like that. That's a little weird, buddy. I mean, the whole movie is just weird. Also, I'm just gonna tell you this: if some creepster showed up who was my friend, quote unquote, and showed up with like weird placards about how he's in love with Miss Molly, that creepster is gonna get. A buck knuckle sandwich. Okay, that's not normal. If you know, if you've seen Love Actually, you know what I'm talking about. The only good part of Love Actually, in my opinion, is the super weird dorky British guy who shows up in, uh, I is it Wisconsin or Minnesota? Producer Mike, do you remember? I can't remember. And he's just like, I'm here to meet some girls, and like, of course, a bunch of beautiful American women show up right in time. That's the only entertaining part of the whole movie. Greece, I've never seen. I probably won't. As to your more political. Uh, insight here, Julie. I would say, yeah, H- Hillary just does whatever she has to do for power. Uh, she's really, in a lot of ways, a Hillaryist. Hello. Uh, she believes first and foremost in whatever is necessary for her to be the person in charge. As I've often said on radio, I believe Hillary Clinton has a hole in her soul that can only be filled with money and power. I don't think that she really feels that there's a a greater purpose to what she does other than the advancement of self. Uh, which you can see throughout her professional life and all of her different policy items and agendas. Um, so, I mean, it's also, I think it's just weird for somebody to have, I don't, I don't know the numbers, so don't quote me on this, but around a dozen books written in your name, none of which you actually wrote. That just strikes me as strange. You don't need the money. So what are you really doing? Your life isn't that interesting. We don't need 12 biographies of you, and we don't need 12 policy papers written by other people in the form of a book. So, I'm, you know, and I, I try not to be uncharitable in my descriptions of these politicians, but I think Hillary in particular is, uh, there's something really, there's something really wrong there. Would she have been radical left? No, Hillary was in some ways a, a center left, uh, establishment elite. You know, she, she's definitely not a conservative in any way, but she, she had some centrist tendencies because she's a corporatist. She likes big checks. She likes working for people with a lot of money. She likes getting people with a lot of money to fly her to Martha's Vineyard. She can hang out on the vineyard. Hello. So, Julie, I think you raised some interesting points. Stacy. What up, Stacy? Shields High. I was listening to your comments about hyphenated names, and I couldn't agree more. We have a man here at work with a hyphenated name. All 80 people who work here only refer to him by his initials. He know, he's known as BFB. That's what's hap- That's what happens when it's too complicated. Yeah, I mean, it's like Samir not going to work here anymore. Those of you who remember that. Some of you will catch that reference. Little sly movie quote reference. Samir not going to work here anymore. Next up, we have Brian. Here we go. Buck, if you're looking for your conservative sanctuary city... Uh, Look no further than Oklahoma City. Recent studies show it is the second most conservative city in America and is smack in the middle of the reddest of red states. Oklahoma was the only state to have every county vote against Obama for both of his elections. As you know, the largest uh, city, the larger city becomes the more dependent on government and the progressive mindset creeps in. Oklahoma City is unique. Literally founded in a single day following a land run, the people here truly are a community. Add to the fact that the OKC bombing and multiple weather events, namely tornadoes, have threatened our lives over the years, and people have really come together. The Oklahoma standard is a real thing. 
We moved here in 2007 from Northern Virginia, D.C. and love it. You should visit sometime only three hours from Dallas. Brian, I got to tell you, that's the most compelling pitch for Oklahoma City I've ever seen. Yeah, it really is. Do they, Mike, do they still have a really good basketball team? They do, right? They weren't, they're not as good because Kevin Durant wanted to take the easy road, right? But they're, they're not as good as they used to be, but they're still really good. Yeah, they're still pretty good. they got some pretty good players. And I have heard great things about that city. My brother was actually just there and loved it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Heard you know, things. I, I think there are more great options for places to live in this country than ever before. Yeah. You know, I've said this many times, you know, because of the Internet and because of the, the explosion of just good food everywhere and also just people really leaning into regional cuisine, uh, you just you get good stuff all over the country. You know, you, you there's, you know, the days of being like, if I want a certain degree of liveliness and a certain level of like culture and culinary arts and all that stuff, you can only really live in like 10 cities in this country. That's gone. The, the this the the mid to small, you know, small, mid-sized U.S. cities are you know great i mean i'm always like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna quit it all and move to charleston you know that's always my thing i'm like i'm done with these big cities i'm just gonna move to charleston dude mike have you been to charleston i've got i have i've got two words for you home slice bachelorette parties yeah it's outstanding yeah it's a good place i don't even play golf in there i know they have great golf courses down there i have played golf down there Good things. Yeah. Good things. Good things. I'm a fan. Yeah, exactly. But it's like a couple hundred, a few hundred thousand people. It's not that big. No, it's it's not not a huge city. I'll throw one more at you. Columbus, Ohio. Surprisingly good time. People tell me the jewel of Ohio, in fact. I've heard that. Another, my brother lived there for a little while and uh, spent some time there. And their downtown area is very uh, hipsterish, New York y, but fun. Like good food, uh, good chefs, good restaurants. I liked it. Yeah, no, it's really, look, it's really true. I'm, I'm hearing this about a lot of. I want to go check out Columbus. I'm hearing this about a lot of cities across the country. And eventually there'll be a Buck Takes America tour or whatever. And, uh, you know, Buck r- runs around the country in some kind of a, I mean, it'll be called the Shaggin' Wagon because of what happened, because of what happened on Red Eye. Buck Story truck. for another time. The Buck Truck? That'll work too. <laughs> I buck like truck. the Buckmobile. The Buckmobile? I like the, bu- I like the Buckmobile actually the most. All right, that's going to be it for Roll Call today, everybody, because unfortunately they they cut me off at some point. I would just hang out all night. Uh, Please do get ready for this week's edition of the Freedom Hut Podcast. Our guest is going to be Ann Coulter. It's going to be fun. So make sure you get ready for that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. It is on the Apple Podcast Store. Type in the Buck Sexton Show. I will see you tomorrow, friends. Shields high.